in the greatness of His strength. I who speak in righteousness mighty to save. So the first question is, who is this one that comes? Who is He? Who is this one that's in this glorious apparel? Who is this one traveling in the greatness of His strength? It can only be one person. That is the Messiah. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. It can only be Jesus. Now I know that in my mind, I believe that Isaiah has received this from the Lord and he understands who it is. And it's a rhetorical question. It's a question given to elicit thought and and a response from people. So he says, who is this one that comes from Eden? In in verse 2, he asks the second question, and I'm going to tie all this together. Bear with me. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the winepress? The first question was, who is this? The second question is, why why is your clothing red and your garments, your clothing, like the one who treads in the winepress? Because it was the one who treaded the winepress. It was Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 3, I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments. So his garments, the reason they're red, is they are stained with blood. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. If you would hold your place here and turn with me to Revelation chapter 19, I want to show you why I believe it is the Lord Jesus Christ and His second coming. In Revelation chapter number 19 and verse 13, we read the following. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. So we, here we have Jesus has a robe on, apparel, that is stained with blood. And His name called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen... White and clean followed him on white horses. Now you say, but wait a minute. Didn't he say just a moment ago in Isaiah that he trodden the winepress alone? Notice the armies are behind him, but listen. Follow along with me in the text. Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Now listen to this. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. It is not a coincidence that in Revelation, when John receives the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ... And His second coming, when He returns to the earth and He he wipes out all those enemies, Isaiah prophesies it and it lines up perfectly with John's 
prophecy in Revelation. And the reason why it does is it because it came from God. So here we have in, in, in 63, chapter 63 of Isaiah, we have the prophecy of the coming judgment. Verse 4, for the day of vengeance is in my heart. Why is he coming? He's coming for vengeance. Remember when the scripture says, God speaking, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay thee. Look at verse 5. And I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury it sustained me. He is speaking now. God is speaking now. The Messiah is speaking. I have trodden down the peoples in mine anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. Essentially, Jesus says there was no one, God says there was no one to help me. Not that he needed help, but he did it himself. Isaiah somberly records the message of judgment. And I want you to see, this day that we live in, guys, listen to me. This day that we live in, we are extremely critical of sinners. The church has become a place where we no longer try to love and win sinners back to the graces of God. We nitpick everyone. And when we think of the judgment of God, no doubt in our minds, sometimes our flesh says, See, this old wicked world's going to get what it deserves. But Isaiah had a different response. When Isaiah saw the message of judgment, the judgment of God coming, it immediately morphs into a second message, a message of gratitude and thankfulness for God's mercy. Because Isaiah realizes that he is part of Israel and that he too is a sinner deserving of God's anger and God's wrath. He is too deserving of God's vengeance. Look what he says in verse 7. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all the Lord has bestowed on us. The message of judgment brought Isaiah to a place rather than being the judge himself judging everyone. He turns and pleads for the mercy of God. Because he realizes if it were not for the mercy of God, he would be in the midst of the judgment himself. And the great goodness, still in verse 7, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which He has bestowed on them according to His mercies, according to the multitude of His loving kindnesses. For He said, Surely they are My people, children who will not lie. So He became their Savior. In all their affliction He was afflicted, and the angel of His presence saved them. In His love and in His pity, He redeemed them. He bore them and carried them all the days. But they rebelled 
and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. Isaiah turns it back on Israel. God blessed you. God brought us out of Egyptian captivity. God led us all these years. And how did we repay him? We turned our backs on him. We turned our backs on him. Guys, I don't know about you, but there are many times in my life where I look back and I think on the goodness that God has been to me. And all of the things through which God has delivered me. And sometimes, knowing that, I'm still aloof to His presence. Sometimes, I'm still wrapped up in my own things that I don't fall before Him. That I don't give Him attention. That I allow medial thing, menial things that... Things that mean absolutely nothing to rob my affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he remembered the days of old, verse 11. Moses and his people saying, Where is he who brought them out of the sea? With the shepherd of his flock. Where is he who put his Holy Spirit within them? who led them by the right hand of Moses, with his glorious arm dividing the water before them, to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the deep as a horse in the wilderness, that they may not stumble. When Isaiah recounts all that the Lord has done, it bothers him. It bothers him. Look at verse 14. As a beast goes down into the valley and the Spirit of the Lord causes him to rest, so you lead your people to make yourself a glorious name. Israel's problem was not in the Lord's leading. Israel's problem was in their rebellion and refusal to follow the Lord's leading. So the message of gratitude... And thankfulness for God's mercy then turns into a message of penitence. That means sorry. It means sorry. Look at verse 15. Look down from heaven and see from your habitation, holy and glorious, where are your zeal and your strength? The yearning of your heart, your mercies toward me, are they restrained? Doubtless you are our Father. Though Abraham was ignorant of us, and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from everlasting is your name. Verse 17 kind of perplexed me. O oh Lord, why have you made us stray from your ways 
and harden our heart from your fear? Isaiah asks that question, but he doesn't see from God's point of view. He doesn't see the extreme rebellion. He just asks God, why? Why have you caused us to stray? Why have you hardened our heart? Notice what he says. Return for your servant's sake. The tribes of your inheritance. Your people, your holy people have possessed it, but a little while our adversaries have trodden down your sanctuary. Verse 19, here it is. We have become like those of old, over whom you never ruled, those who were never called by your name. It's a message of sorrow. Lord, you blessed us. And what did we do for your blessings? We turned our backs on you. Lord, please return. Return for your servant's sake. The tribes of your inheritance, your holy people. For we have become like those of old over whom you never ruled, those who were never called by your name. Isaiah comes to the place in which he realizes that it was God that made the nation of Israel the promised nation of Israel it was not Israel in and of herself and when Israel tried to do on her own what only God could do for her Israel was rebelling against God. When I think about the judgment of God, a part of my flesh says, see, this wicked world just deserves it. God, wipe it out. But then I remember the gratitude, the mercy, the grace that God has given me. And more than angry, I feel more ashamed and sorry for America than I do vengeful and spiteful. We have forgotten just how powerful our God is. And I'm sorry that there have been times in my life when I put other things before God. The depths that God has gone through to show me His love. The depths of the miry clay in which He reached down and picked me out of and put me on a rock and established my going. I have no right to play judge. 
All I can do is ask the Lord, please return to us, Lord. Give us your grace and your mercy yet again. And my, my, my thoughts are changing. It's not so much as the sinners of this world as it is the ineffective church. We can't expect sinners to make a difference in the world. We can't expect sinners to live like saints. And what we've got to see is that we need to plead in our churches, in our individual lives, for the presence and the power of the Lord to return again. Acknowledging that we are, we are the vehicle in this dispensation that God has chosen to use to make a difference in the world. We are a light. And every year we get so much more bogged down with more temporal stuff that doesn't matter. We are no different than the Israelites who wandered around for 40 years. We are just as rebellious. We are just as hard-headed as they. And we look at them with disdain and say, how could they? I'll tell you exactly how they could. Look at my life. Look at your life. So what we need, we're coming to a crescendo here in this, this book that we call the Little Bible. 66 books in Isaiah, 66 books in the Bible. There's a division, 39 in the first book, 27 in the second book. There's 39 Old Testament books in the Bible. There's 27 New Testament books in the Bible. It fits perfectly. It's, it's, not, it's not at all ironic the crescendo is this this is the need of the hour that God's people long for his manifest presence in our lives his power in our lives that's the book of Isaiah. Whether they're plugging in a, 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 an idol 
whether they're plugging in something else, what they're doing is they're moving away from the manifest presence and power of Almighty God in their lives. And something has to happen. At some point, we in the churches in the United States of America say, enough with the show. Enough with the trappings. We have to return to our God. Then we will receive the blessings. Isaiah is so moved. This is his thought process in this. Judgment of God. Oh, wow. Thank you, God, for not judging me. God, I'm sorry. There's a, there's a, there's a step in there. Here comes the judgment of God. God, I am so thankful for your grace and your mercy. But God, we're sorry. We sure have made a mess of things. And I think that that could probably be applied to our churches today. I love this church. I think this is a great church. my favorite church. I'll be honest with you. It should be, right? I mean, what kind of pastor would you be if it wasn't your favorite church? Um, but I, I think that we could return to the Lord. I think we can see this not as some book that was written several thousand years ago to those people, but we can come to the New Testament and we can realize that Corinthians tells us that all these Old Testament passages of Scripture were for our admonition, for our example. And we should examine our hearts. And we should say, Lord, thank God I'm not going to face your eternal judgment. God, you've been so good to me. And you can name all the things he's done for you. And God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that sometimes I live like people of old who never even knew you ruled, who never were called by your name. I'm sorry sometimes I act like that. And you know, I think if we do that, you will see things get better. Not easier, but better. Can we bow for just a moment of prayer?